All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of uh, The Uncomfortable Silence. Just me today, um, not my father. I thought it'd be interesting to have a one-on-one -on -one with a former teacher, uh, Mr. Watson. I think I'm grown up now, so I get to call him Zach. Um, Zach Watson, who on social media talks about mental load. Um, I'll let him tell you exactly what he does, but I thought his conversation about mental load and emotional load and how we can kind of combat feeling overwhelmed and being more considerate of people uh, went really well with some of the mental health topics that we talk about. Uh, so yeah, Zach Watson, uh, tell us what you do and what you're about. Yeah. Th thanks Quentin for having me. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty cool trip talking with you. Let's see about seven years after I think we, I had you in a classroom. Um, but I, you know, I talk a lot about on social media about the mental load oftentimes talking specifically about of motherhood. Uh, I have a 93% woman audience. Most of them are moms or wives. And I'm trying to improve the way that we look at domestic equity, uh, the way that we look at all the invisible labor that kind of goes on in homes, uh, which I think is a super, uh, super specific version of, you know, I think, a lot of times we mental load dump on other people and we don't know it. Um, I did a collaboration recently with a pretty famous person and even just like DMing her in a way that didn't add mental load to her plate and taking everything off of it, uh, all of the same kind of things applied there. So I think it's a super wide topic that I talk about in a specific area of, of the domestic domain. I think it's a super interesting topic because the more broad version of what you talk about is really just being more considerate of how what your words and actions might make other people feel. And it's something that is very hard to stop and think about before you say something or do something. It's very hard to realize how that might impact the other person. But I think it's something that the older I get, the more I realize how powerful your words can truly be and how much it does have the ability to impact other people, especially um, like you talk about with relationships, marriages, and all that stuff. So I think um, what you do is very impressive to get on and talk about it the way you do too, very freely. Have you ever worried about that judgment from people when you get on social media or at all? I've had plenty of videos that after I post them have not gotten great feedback i can i can probably count count on two hands the the ones that have you know been been tough the following days or week afterwards i think i've been lucky and you know i you know when you met me i was on my first plan to i was making a youtube video every day i think i had been like three months in but when you guys met me for the first time and I'm somewhere probably made somewhere between three and 4,000 videos uh, since then. But I think yeah, there's, there's a lot of emotions that go through your head when you realize that you used a little bit of language that was just a little, little off, like off brand or just really upset a good handful of people. And I think one of the things I strive to do is keep the video up and admit to my mistakes and pin the comment top saying, Hey, I'm I'm doing a reflection on this one. I'm doing some deep diving. I've read every single one of your 128 comments here um, and I'm taking them into consideration. Uh, and I think every once in a while, 
for your own mental health, for your own like emotional safety, like you need to take videos down because the hate comments are, are just a little too much and they just are misinterpreting what you were trying to say, but you're kind of in the wrong because more people are misinterpreting it than are interpreting it how you meant. And I, I asked you that question because when I had you as a teacher, you were a, a very young teacher. You were super ambitious. You had all these ideas you wanted to implement. And I think you got to the school and you realized, oh, there might be some pushback from parents, um, you know, staff workers, even kids mm -hmm. of your, you wanted to use social media in a way to help students and to help with math problems. And I think pre-COVID, that was kind of unheard of. It wasn't used that much in classrooms. And Post-COVID now, I see, I mean, we talked to a fifth grade teacher two weeks ago who he uses social media in his classroom all the time, and it's great for the kids. And I wanted to ask you if if you've sat, have you thought about that? How maybe if you were just two years later that that whole teaching experience might have gone a lot differently? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I don't think about it too often. I think that when I, when I went to, when I was interviewing for that role, probably, uh, in July of that year, I told the, I, I had already had a, a job and I wasn't like looking for one. And the, you know, the department head was my friend from high school. And I came into the interview and said, here's what I want to do. Uh, like I, I'd love to teach math to high school. I've been doing middle school for two years and I've always wanted to do high school. Cause I think you can have more in-depth, interesting, like adult conversations with the students um, which I think you and me have had a good handful of. And at the same time, I said, you know, I've, I, I make YouTube videos. I, you know, I've done a couple of those odd, like weird ch clickbait challenges. Uh, and like, I would love to continue doing that. And I think up front, they're like, oh yeah, that sounds great. Like innovation, love it. And then in practice, they did not love it. Uh, I think I still remember one video I'm actually pretty proud of was the football team was getting a ton of attention for, you know, the football team was doing great. I think they won almost, they, they still they, are. They're unbelievable. Back. They've won like six, they've been to the Super Bowl like six out of seven years. They're oh, unbelievable. I didn't realize that, but yeah, I think they were, they're back to back. I think yep. with the years that I was there and there was, so there was two videos a week. It was, I, I mean, it seemed like you guys, the, the school is pretty progressive in that it was a, a Thursday YouTube video and a Friday one. Thursday was the sports network. Friday was right. sort of regular news. And I had this critique that I, I chose to, you know, just put up on YouTube rather than, you know, running it by anybody. And I said, you know, we have a, is a nine minute episode and eight minutes of it or eight minutes, five seconds was football. And then there was about 30 seconds of soccer and then 15 seconds of volleyball. And I, this doesn't feel right. And so I, I made a, a calculation, like a, an equation that I recommended they consider using for the amount of like screen time we get for the different sports, which included win record and like win percentage, uh, as well as the amount of like students that were involved in the sport. And um, that was, I think, the first video that the principal was like, please take that down. Like we we really don't approve of how you're going about this. And that was the first time I think I got a real pit in my stomach, like, oh, Maybe they, uh, maybe they aren't feeling what I'm, what I'm going for here. And I think I was, I was trying to speak truth to power, which ironically I thought 
like in the following weeks, I'm pretty sure they actually kind of changed and they tried covering more sports later. So I think it did make change, but it was not, it, my stomach didn't, didn't love that one. Yeah. That, I mean, it's a, it's just, it's funny how much since COVID, how much schools have changed and how much more the technology world is in it. And I've, I've seen it. I'm in school, still doing school now. And I don't even, I don't go to class. I sit on my computer, you know, I don't have to go in. I do all online schools and it's great for me. It's uh, I think realizing that different things work for different kids and not limiting students to have to do things one way or another, but allow them to find something that works for them is very beneficial. And I think that's a lot of what you were trying to do where you would teach in class and then, well, out of class, if you guys want to sit and watch this video, you can, if you don't want to, you don't have to. It's a, that was what you were going for a lot of times, right? Yeah. I, I did try flipping the classroom a couple of times, uh, which means like you do the lesson outside of class, then you do the practice problems in class. I, I realized how much work it was and it was not, it was not that fun because you, you had to make almost like double the lessons because you had to teach outside first. Um, and that was, that was pretty challenging. But yeah. I think a huge part of what I wanted to accomplish with my YouTube channel was that I wanted to give you guys some life advice sort of outside of math and the previous school I had taught at, I set goals with the students for, I think it was like the first week of school. I set, we had 90 minute blocks and I set goals with them for two 60 minute blocks within those. And I remember my department head coming to me and saying, Hey, I heard you guys were like doing some goal setting. That's great. Like how long did that take you? And I said, Oh, probably an hour each day. And they're like, when did, did, did you not do math? I was like, no, I mean, we still did some math for probably 30 minutes. So like you, you can't do that. And I remember being really disappointed that there's no goal setting that happens in schools for the most part, maybe with your guidance counselor, but you know, I, in, in King Philip, they had that challenge too, as they, I introduced it then as like a bonus, like a extra credit thing. And then I think there were other there were parents and students that were saying, Hey, because he has this extra bonus that the other teachers don't have, that's going to affect the the class rankings. They have this extra opportunity that the other students don't have. And so they, so then I had to change it to, okay, if you do this bonus thing, it, it unlocks other opportunities, like, you know, adding, uh, doing, um, I forget what you call it. When you get like problems wrong on your test, you can try to get half the points back if you correct them afterwards. So yeah, the, uh, what I tried to implement, uh, was definitely not met, uh, with, with kind hearts all the time. Yeah. Which is, that can be difficult to go home and have to think about that when all you were trying to do is something with good intentions and maybe it's misinterpreted or taken the other way. But, um, so when I, when I talk about, and what I'm into is the mental health aspect of, really for kids because that's how I felt. And I had you, I was a 15 year old kid. Um, as a teacher, you don't know what all your students are going through. Um, but it's really interesting because when kids go to school, they spend six hours of their day, you know, 30 hours a week in this school setting. And I think a lot of times um, teachers can be a great outlet for students. They can be a mentor and I don't know if most teachers realize how much of an impact they really have on kids, but they spend so much time together. And 
I was really struggling at home, had a lot of stuff going on at home. And then I would come to school and school wasn't always going the way I wanted to. And I wanted to ask you as a teacher and a professional um, in that environment, did you notice with me, like when I came to school, like certain mood stuff, did you know, like something was going on? Could you tell? I would say this is, I mean, you're a unique individual that I think you are super friendly. Uh, you would definitely, I think most teacher uh, students, you, you would notice have bad days, especially when they're really outgoing, like yourself and social. Uh, it was a rare day that you would come in and probably wouldn't say, Hey, Mr. Watson, or I don't know, make some Fortnite reference to me that <laughs> I understand. Um, or, or, you know, I, I, part of the reason that I think I remember you so well is I think you were somewhat invested in my, my YouTubing and like, you would quote me, like when I made that Gucci gang remix, uh, like, like random times during the day, just sometimes I think it was to piss me off. Sometimes it was to, uh, sometimes I think you didn't understand what we we're talking about. So you're like, I'm going to, I'm just going to throw this wrench in his lesson and see if, see if he rebounds. Um, you just like yell out some lyrics from, from the song. But I think that because you were, you were such a social person and I got to know you better than probably most of the other students, I think I definitely noticed there were things that you were thinking about or that were impacting you. You know, one of the, one of the probably small handful of mistakes I, I really made in my career as a teacher was, was with you. I don't, I don't, I'm imagining you remember this is I can see his face. I can't remember his name. I think he was sitting behind you or you were sitting behind him or something. And you guys had a, a short little interaction and he accused you of like bullying him and you accused him back. Is this sounding familiar at all? I, I yeah, I remember the story very clearly. If you would like me to, to uh, tell it, I, it's up to you, but I remember. Yeah. I'll let you fill in the gaps. Cause I I'm imagining it was pretty visceral for both of us. So I, I remember he said, uh, I said, he said, I said something that um, like he misinterpreted it or he took it as a certain way. Yeah. And I basically, I was like, Oh no, that's not how I meant it. You know, I didn't, you know, I didn't mean it that way. And yeah. then we were good shortly after, but there wasn't really a problem. It was just one of those things. Well, so, you know, one of the mistakes I made there was, I, I don't know what I was reading or listening to at the time, but I felt very strongly about, Oh, you know, it was, I was reading this book called waking up white and it just talks about like what it is to be like a white privileged person and I was slowly coming to grips with how much privilege that I experienced in my life as, you know, I'm a six, five, uh, white male, you know, middle-class, like didn't have significant struggles. And I think there was, there's something you're, you're complaining about something. I don't remember what it was around that, but I, I ended up saying something out loud to, you know, the whole classroom about like, you're a white male, you have nothing to worry about or something like that. Yep. And I, I wish I hadn't said that um, because I think that was some of my own issue with myself that I was projecting. I think there was a lot of mental health that, that, um, you know, I, I have been lucky to not have depression or really anxiety throughout my years, but 
you know, especially given, you know, the email I got from the other day inviting me on here and knowing that the path you've gone down, like, I can't imagine how tough that must have came out. And I, I was grateful that I think a couple, maybe that day or a couple of days later, you came to me after school and you said, you know, Mr. Watts, like, there's not, you don't, you don't know everything I'm dealing with. And, um, I was, I was grateful that you, you trusted me enough to come talk to me about how I had made a mistake rather than stay completely disconnected. Cause I think for, I don't know what part of the year that was in, but I imagine we, right. we might not have had any sort of like rapport the rest of the year if you right. hadn't done that. And I'm, thankful. I think that's something that I tried to, um, tell kids obviously i remember the comment it didn't you know it didn't like impact me that great where well, probably because you were a teacher instead of like if one of my peers said that to me i might have lashed out or but you know i'm not gonna stand up in the middle of class but um what i try to tell or a message i try to send is that it, it's okay to go have that conversation afterwards it might be uncomfortable it might not go the way you want it to go. But if I came to you and I said, Hey, I'm, I'm dealing with something, you know, what's the worst that could happen between me and you out of that? It's probably going to end with you being like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that. And then taking steps to make me feel better. You know, yeah. I think that um, that conversation piece is missing a lot of times with people don't like to own up to their mistakes either, which you did. You said, you know, you're right. Um, it was a heat of the moment thing. I didn't mean to make you feel a certain way, but I think those conversations are really lost nowadays, especially in schools. And I think it's something that really benefits both people. Yeah. And that's something you talk about a lot with, I see videos of you and your wife and you make a comment about muffins and she doesn't like the comment about muffins, but you guys have that conversation afterwards and then you build your relationship. And I think that's a very important thing for people to do about having that tough conversation after. Yeah. Like the repair is everything. Like that's part of the reason I tried to not take down videos after, you know, I'm even if I make a poor word choice is coming back and pointing out my level of humanness. Like, yeah, I, I made a mistake here. I, I would like, I wish I had chosen different words. This is what I was trying to say. Um, but like, that's how you build I, I I don't know if you remember, I, I wrote a book back in 2016 and one of the things I talked about was the my mathematical reasoning for why I was able to uh, propose to my wife in about three months. And part of the reason was I think most relationships, they go through all these like really nice periods. Maybe they go through a fight a week and then they repair and it takes them over two years maybe is an appropriate time that people get engaged and they've gone through about 52 or 104 problems, 104 solutions. Just like when you go to the gym, you lift weights and yep. you rip apart your muscles. It's when they, when they get back together is when it works. Me and my wife, we're going through one a day for three months straight. Uh, Cause we're in this like pretty intense training program together. So just like that is like, the fact that you came back. So I had ripped us apart really the, in the way that I handle it. And you came back and talked to me about it and you, you helped create a repair. Um, totally agree. Yeah. And that's, it's, it, it's difficult too, but you real, and I'm sure you've realized cause you still make video, the more you do it, the more 
the easier it gets every single time. The more right. that you are able to have those uncomfortable um, conversations. And that's why we've named the our podcast and our speak, uh, when we speak, the uncomfortable silence, because so many people don't talk about it afterwards and they live in that discomfort and it can consume them and cause them other issues. And I think one of the things that your message is really good for is let's have those conversations and you're open about it. People can see then how you and your wife, 20 minutes after arguing, you know, you're lying on the couch together, smiling and joking about it. But I think that's difficult for people to, to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, the, the clients that I work with, I'm coaching them on having a weekly conversation with their partner about, you know, kind of the boring stuff, like the, the domestic labor responsibilities around the home and the side effect that I discovered after, you know, first month or two of hosting these programs was that they were finding a much better level of vulnerability that they could talk with their partner about things they hadn't talked about for years, if ever. Uh, one of the guys, he's been in a nine-year marriage and they said they had the best week of their marriage because all of a sudden they were talking about emotions and had a level of comfort that they had never had before because they're practicing talking in a in a kind environment. Yeah, and I think that goes for, obviously you deal with relationships with mostly couples, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that can go for friendships, teacher-student, as we learned and saw, coach-player, um, which is a lot of the environments that I'm in. I'm coaching um, J JV Junior Varsity Lacrosse this spring. And uh, I hope that I can hopefully send that message from a coach to a player, especially mm -hmm. as a young person who's going to be learning on the fly. Yeah. Um, but I think it goes to all aspects. So I want I want to ask you, I want you to define the word mental load or emotionally, those words that you use, what is it um, – how can we combat it? You know, give, give us your, your thoughts on what those mean. Yeah, I would say, I would say mental load is the thing that maybe keeps you up at night. It's typically less of the emotional stuff, more of the logistical stuff. Um, it's like, oh shoot, I forgot to email back that person. Um, it, it's, oh, we gotta, we gotta register for summer camp in two weeks. Oh, I need to, need to put down a reminder i gotta put the trash out um that that's at least what it looks like in that setting i think from like a you know as a teacher or like a student is like oh i got i got homework due or i actually gotta wake up 15 minutes earlier the the person on the on the bus keep keeps asking me for money i should sit in a different place from them um emotional labor is the things that you're doing and thinking about and considering first and maybe taking action on so that the other people around you are not having to deal with emotions. I think a lot of times emotional labor is something that happens, period. And the question is, who's going to bear it? So, you know, if we're looking at the interaction that you and I had, after I, I made that comment, there was, if you hadn't come to me, so you ended up bearing the emotional labor of that conversation. You came to me, said something uncomfortable to mend something that um in and, indoor and voice like a challenge i did some emotional labor to listen to that put my my feelings aside and hear you out fully um and the the other ways that that could have gone was you didn't come to me and so the instead emotional labor is you would have held it in probably would have gotten resentful um and that's a different form of emotional labor that i wouldn't recommend for people 
because it's longer and it's more insidious and it just sucks more. It and sucks, then over yeah. time, I was going to be, I was going to hold emotional labor like, oh man, we still never talked about that time that I yelled at him in class. And like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be careful about how I talk to you in class. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you less questions. I'm going to interact with you less. And we're going to walk on eggshells around each other for the next four months. Um, so the emotional labor is happening. The question is, how, how do we want to do it? Do we want to do it in a constructive way or a destructive way? Right. So it's those, uh, those stress builders, those things that have the potential to build stress and cause you more problems. And yeah, it's really interesting. A lot of your videos are, they're so simple that it almost hurts with, it's like, yeah, it's a no brainer. We should consider how that might make someone feel, but every day, day to day life, you, you know, when you have that split second decision to make a comment, you don't realize how much of an effect that those words can have. So how do you talk to people about maybe the the effects that their words can have on their partner? Like when you make videos talking about uh, how what you said made Alyssa feel. Sure. And I'll start with, I think the typical one that I'm answering is like, how do I, how do I take some of the mental load off my partner or my friend or, you know, anyone that I have a relationship with? Like a really easy example is uh so I, and and I actually reference you know the test that I used to create for your class. Uh so as a math teacher, uh I had your class, which was the honors class, and then I had the other class, which was you know meant to to not be as hard. And so I would make the test for them first, uh, which was multiple choice typically, might have had two open responses towards the end, but uh they all had four or five options. And sometimes you're making questions that uh, are giving them trip upable answers, right? So if you're doing triangles, you're probably putting a 30, a 60, a 90, and a 45, which are all very probable answers. Or you can take mental load off of your your students and say one of them's zero and one of them's you know 600,000. That's clearly not an answer. Therefore, it turns it almost into a true and false. For your class, I would take those same questions and then turn them into open response questions. So you didn't have options. There was no there's no Hail Mary throw that you could accidentally get it right. You had to put something on the page from scratch. And so similarly, if we talk about, you know, talking to a parent like, hey, what's for supper tonight? What's for dinner? That's an open-ended. And if you wanted to take the mental load off that person, you might say instead, hey, I've been thinking about dinner tonight. I would really like to have, I, I'm going to make it. I want to have hamburgers and fries. My second choice is we can just do something really simple, rice and beans, takes less time and less effort. Or maybe we could have something awesome, but it would cost a little bit. We'll get Chinese down the road. And so what you've just done is you've created three options. You shared, I'm leaning towards one of them that gives a default answer and that person does way less thinking and they can just choose. And if they don't choose, there's already one chosen for them. So that's, that's one of the main ways that I recommend if people are trying to take mental load off someone else, that's how they do it. And one of the, one of the reasons we see in economics, why that works, I forget what country it is, but in America, when you go to get your license, if you at the bottom, it asks, do you, do you want to be an organ donor? And you have to check the box if you want to be an organ donor. So other countries instead that say, would you, would you like to opt out of being an organ donor? Check the box. And the difference is, I think it's like 
let me get the numbers wrong, but I know it's a pretty significant difference. There's like 30% of people in America are organ donors versus like 60 or 70% of those countries that have the opt out option. Like they just default to being an organ donor. So it makes a big difference when you have that, that the, the direction of opting option. So a lot of little bit like how you phrase certain stuff about how it could make the other person feel and how they will take it. And then their response, what, how that could impact their response to you. Yeah. Um, so I want to take a second to give a message uh, from our sponsor. We've been speaking a lot about mental load. Um, mental health uh, is something I talk about. One of the things that can impact mental health is having a family member in recovery. It can be a lot for a family and a patient to handle. Second Starts is a premium non-clinical option, option for parents of young adults in recovery helping the involved family and support networks of young adults in recovery from substance use and behavioral disorders increase the effectiveness of their current medical, therapeutic, and evidence-based programming. You do this by increasing focus, comprehension, and purposeful involvement in treatment, reimagining, and rebuilding forward-focused support network without the guilt and shame realized by most programming, and by installing a self-refueling, sustainable life management system specifically tailored to the goals and vision of each family. Second Start utilizes the principles of leverage-based tapered life management. TLM creates and uses windows of anticipation that trigger time responses, accountability mechanisms, creating sustainable life patterns. Visit the link in our description to join Second Start today. Uh, thank you for allowing me to do that. Sorry. Um, so you're a new dad. You're a new dad. Uh, you have a two-year-old daughter mm -hmm. named Everly. Everly. I was going to say Evelyn, and I knew it sounded wrong, so I didn't want to keep going. Um, how has being a dad changed your perspective on, well, I'm sure it's changed your relationship with your wife, but especially changed your perspective on mental load, emotional labor. It adds that extra wrinkle into your relationship that I'm sure wasn't there before. So how has it changed your perspective on that? Yeah, extra wrinkle. I don't know if that covers it. It's uh, it's like the difference <laughs> between a shirt hanging in your closet for a long time versus being uh, wet in the laundry in the dryer, but the dryer hasn't run for about five weeks. Um, I think that. So how has it changed me as a? I think it kind of forces you to realize that you don't really get to be the same level of selfish that you historically have been i think there's a lot of moments when you want to keep sleeping or you want to disregard something and the stakes are higher where it's like the development of a whole human being uh that is at stake so you know when when you've only slept for three hours multiple nights in a row and they're still awake they're still crying and your partner has had same or less sleep than you and their body's tired out from breastfeeding or something um it's like you you have to answer the call uh, and there's there's so much more of like there's so much less lately that i feel like i can mail in uh you know in, in your job right or your schoolwork i think there can be a lot of moments where oh, i have this homework assignment I'm just skipping homework tonight. I'm I'm gonna go to sleep. I'm, I need to sleep. You lack that option, or it's not that you lack the option, but the consequences of that option are significantly different. And 
I think you have to show up in a more empathetic way than you necessarily have in a lot of other parts of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, my comments about it being wrinkles probably because I'm a kid with a, you know, obviously I don't have kids, so I have no idea the mental load it could put on people, but, um, I think it's interesting about how you and your wife openly talk about, um, your challenges parenting and, um, how it impacts your relationship. And I think it's something that a lot of people experience, but maybe don't talk about as openly, uh, as you guys do. So, um, how big has your wife been to you to be able to have those conversations and realize that, you know, maybe you're applying mental load onto her that you don't have to, or how important has she been to you with realizing all of this? Back in 2020, before she was pregnant, she tried sending me an article talking about mental load and domestic labor. And she realized that she was scared to send it to me because of the level of defensiveness that I had about it. I felt like I was a good husband. I felt like I was pulling my weight. And in a lot of ways, I wasn't, I, the mental load was still invisible to me. And I, you know, I call it invisible labor. I think her ability to allow me space to learn rather than just expect the bar to be there. And, you know, I've, I've been here for a lot of that time and she's been really kind and letting me rise to the occasion. Um, I think there's a lot of couples out there where, you know, when I say the bar is here, like this is a mediocre bar. This is not a high bar. There's a lot of guys down here and their partner is just pissed that they're not there, but they've tried so many times to try to get them up to the bar that they're just sick of trying. And I think, I've been really grateful that she's given me a lot of space and time to, you know, recover from being a man child in a lot of ways that um, I, I think that she's had more patience than I think most people have. And uh, because of that, I think I'm able, I get to talk about this uh, and try to make a difference for other people. Tell me about the, the man child. I've seen you wear the shirt. I've seen you talk about it a little. Tell Tell me about what that is. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I think earlier in my life as an adult, I I embraced being a man child. I felt like it made me fun. It made me, you know, if thinking about me as a teacher, right? I was going to be the guy that had no problem wearing an absolutely ridiculous outfit for uh, spirit day. I had no problem jumping on, like playing basketball with you guys. I remember one time, like I got, I went to like show off and dunk in front of you guys and I got stuffed by the rim and then I cracked my like chin open on the ground. Um, I would come. You didn't have that fear of judgment that a lot of people had. I don't think. Yeah. I, maybe that's part of like the, the child is like, I think the man children, we, we don't fear is maybe as much of the judgment of it. Um, But at the same time, I think there's like a, a lack of responsibility. I think that also develops. Um, if you kind of hold on to that, I think there's a way to be playful and outgoing and fun and not be a man child. Uh, so I, you know, when I say I'm recovering, I think a lot of, um, addicts use that reward word because I think a lot of alcoholics, let's say they, they know that they're one drink away from really screwing their life back up. Um, and I think I see myself similarly. It's like, 
it can be, I, I commented to Alyssa the other day. So our, our toddler left a sippy cup of milk under like her stool, uh, in the, in the bathroom. And I had to move it to, to use, you know, the toilet. And as I looked back to turn the light off, I noticed there was just like, there's a little bit of milk under the stool, but like, like a drip or two. And I had this moment of like, wow, the man child in me really wants to pretend that I didn't see that. And I, and I was, I was headed out somewhere and Alyssa was going to take over the rest of the night with our, our toddler, which we already agreed on. And I, I, I said to her, yeah, the man child in me really wants to leave alone the issue that I saw a little bit of. So I, I think the, the recovering man child lifted up the stool to see what the, what the level of mess was and if it was two drops or if it was the whole thing was spilt, which it was. Um, and then I took, took the two minutes to clean it up rather than let it sit there and let her discover it. Um, and I think there are moments that happen throughout our marriage that I, I, I can't point to because there are probably a, a handful of them that were really small. Maybe it's something falls on the ground or there's a little bit of dust somewhere and you know you're like lapsing on integrity from not being the the equitable partner that you would expect you to be in those moments. Yeah, I um so I'm someone I've dealt with depression, anxiety, and I've really struggled in those areas. And I'm always one bad decision or a decision that's not good for me away from affecting my mental health. If I go out on a weekend and don't treat myself right, it's going to impact me much more than it would uh, maybe a lot of kids my age. So I always have to be mindful of it's like, all right, I could go um, hang out with my friends and maybe stay up late, but I'm going to sacrifice sleep that my brain and my body really needs. And it could impact me the next day, which could impact me the next week. So I have to be really mindful of, of those decisions that um, keep me healthy and keep me being me. And I think once you figure out uh, exactly what makes you feel good, and obviously your relationship with your wife is super important to you, and you're going to do everything you can to make sure that that is something that lasts and that your daughter gets to grow up in a healthy environment. And it's very similar to, I have to make sure I grow up and live in a healthy environment. Yeah. And it's a never ending uh, battle. It's, it, it's every day you have to be conscious and make those small decisions about, okay, what's best for, for you. It's your family and me. It's like, all right, like what's, what's best for me. I mean, you're, you're still pretty young. I mean, you're still in college. What do you think it has been that has, I, I mean, in college, I just, I gave so many less fucks. I just, I would be hung over doing anything. Um, I, I, I know you briefly described some of the experience that you've, you've gone through, but like, I think there's still a lot of people that would dive into, you know, alcohol abuse or, or, you know, just bad decisions. What is it that helps you stay in the recovering state? Um, so, so I did for a little bit. So my mother passed two years ago, I was 18. Um, but she battled dementia for, for years. And it was something you knew it was a constant downward slope, we knew it was going to come eventually, and then it did. So I'd been preparing for it. And then I lost her. And for about a year and a half, two years, I kind of spiraled. And, and I did that I, I lived the college life. And I just realized 
how much it impacted me. And I, I, I know that my mother wouldn't want me to not be as happy as I possibly could. When I lost my mother, I, I lost a, a piece of me and I lost the woman who, uh, who really loved me and she was always smiling. And, and I, I realized like, what if she's up there watching me right now? And, and this is what I'm doing when I could choose to go do something else and be happy. And I know all she ever wanted was for her little boy. She called me her sunshine. She just wanted me to be happy. And I, I realized that I've had this experience and I've had a different experience than most people have. And I have the option to either learn from it, grow from it and do something with it and change my life or kind of go along every day, just living, but not being as happy as I possibly could. Yeah, And my, my wife has gone through some similarities. She, she hasn't made an attempt, but um, you know, back about a decade ago and when we first met she went through some really challenging times and um there have been moments where i've found sharp objects out and she thought about it and i know that um there have been various different uh her horse actually at the time we were engaged but it was her horse that she was carrying and taking after um that helped her out of that situation i think it's i feel like of the people that have shared things like this with me before it's hearing that they have someone that they're counting on for support like her horse or like they don't want to let down like a a child or something that they don't and for you you know not wanting to let down your mom is like a, a north star for you to stay stay in a progressing state and i think when you lose someone like that you could for me like it it doesn't feel like i lost her when i have these conversations and i talk about certain things and it feels like i'm like i'm honoring her and i feel uh, a part of her when whenever i speak to people these are her words too and she created this and i think it's a great way to be able to live through someone uh doing something that's bigger than just about yourself when you were in my class and you had your invisible backpack on, how were you letting the people that you cared about, whether it be your teachers or your peers, know about it? Uh, and that I feel like, you know, I, I watched 13 Reasons Why, and I felt like that that was a pretty impactful series for me. I feel like there are a lot of moments when you watch her, she wants to make a choice. She wants to communicate with someone. I think with the guidance counselors, like her last string, she says one or two things and she's really just hoping he asks her, are you okay? Have you, what were those kind of ways that you reached out to people that you were hoping they would grab onto it and they didn't? Well, one of my problems was that I didn't enough. I kind of held it in so much that it, that it consumed me and then exploded. And um, it wasn't until, so the invisible backpack, that's a term we use all the time. And I think it's a really uh, good term. And it's interesting that when people go to work or they go to school or whatever, wherever they go, they're carrying this invisible backpack of emotions, trauma, um, things that they're dealing with from home that they're bringing with them to, to practice, to school. And, and it's, it's a lot. And everyone has them. There's not one person that's not carrying something with them all the time. Um, 
and I came to school carrying my stuff from home and I wish I did it more of maybe saying one or two things and trying to hope people grab onto them. But um, it wasn't until I made the attempt to take my own life when um, my dad caught it. My dad coached basketball at King Philip at the same time uh, we were there. And he walked in 30 minutes early from practice, 30 minutes earlier than he was supposed to. And he walked up the stairs and saw me uh, attempting to take my life. And I saw this man who I viewed as a big, strong, tough, uh, emotionally stable man break down into tears and hug me and tell me how much I mean to him, which we weren't. It wasn't that type of relationship. He wasn't and he is now, but he wasn't one to, to say I love you all the time to to really do that. And when I saw him break down, I realized that, oh, someone, someone really cares about me. Um, this man would give anything he had to save me and have it be him bearing my pain instead. And once I realized that, I knew that I had to change a lot of things about the way I think, the way I act, how I feel, um, because I could never let somebody in my life like that feel like that again. So I don't know if that answers your question about saying, you know, hoping people latch on to something, but I really, I didn't, I wasn't looking for the attention from people to really help me. I was trying to get through this struggle that I had and I was too prideful. And I think a lot of times people are too prideful and I didn't want people seeing my mother as a, a certain way and that she was sick. I wanted them to see her as a, the beautiful, kind, loving person that she was. And I wanted to bear this responsibility of being the man at home. And I couldn't do it. It overwhelmed me. I didn't have what it, what it took and the right resources. And that that's the negative outcome that came of it. And now I'm trying to make, uh, to help other people never feel like that again. And I know you'll be talking a lot more to the, to the, groups into the community that that I wish I wish I had a better way to articulate I don't think you can do it necessarily as a teacher all the time I remember one of my mentors when I was going through my master's program as a teacher he always I think there was one class he actually said it to but he always wanted to tell them guys like don't worry about the goddamn grades just like how about I just give all of you A's and we can just write he was a writing teacher can we just write for like a semester and you guys commit to writing every day with me and I'll just give you all A's. I don't care. And I think similar to me, I, I didn't have, I, I definitely wouldn't have done that. I think there's a lot of grade pressure um, in that school. And like, I remember, I think you guys came out in like quarter one freshman year and you found out your, what your class ranks were. And I was like, are you, yeah. who told them this? Why, why are these numbers coming out? This is a terrible idea. I think, love or pressure that is put on especially at that school and i think probably tons of other schools is like these grades are really just not and you can't you can't tell high school kids that because their parents and their guidance counselors and their other teachers are adamantly disagreeing like grades matter everything and i think like if you look at my career uh i read the book lean in and she talks about that it's not a corporate ladder it's a career jungle gym that we go on. I am, so I started out as an engineer in college. I was a software developer for two years, pretty much making software for the people that 
for the engineering job I wanted. And then I decided to teach for eight years. I taught math and then math and science. And then I taught King Philip uh, high school math. And then I ended up teaching math, video editing. And then I ended up having electives around origami, uh, uh, teaching cash flow and passive income. And then I went into sales for two years and now I'm a content creator and coach for men to improve the relationships. No one could have told you when I was trying to get A's freshman year of high school, that that's what my freaking career was going to look like. Um, and I think like, I remember you messaged me sometime after high school saying, or maybe it was during high school that you were helping uh, to create like highlight reels for uh, basketball players. Like, I thought to myself, that is a amazing use of time for a young man that is inter interested in sports is like getting out there on the court, having sales conversations, finding clients, building, like growing your, your confidence. And I think grades are just an absolutely terrible way to like show performance and things that I'm really curious. Riley in our class, she said all she ever wanted to do was be, uh, I think a, uh, algebra two math teacher or no, an eighth grade math teacher with her aunt in like Nebraska. And, uh, I said, what do you need to accomplish to do that? And she said, well, I need straight A's. I need this. And I was like, you absolutely don't. Did you know that I actually, I, I got like C's in math during high school. And then I just went through engineering and then now I'm, now I have that job. And I, I, that pressure is like, the biggest invisible backpack that I could kind of see on all of you. Um, and I don't know how to train that out of you without trying to improve the culture of a, of a whole school community. Yeah. It's a, um, growing up where I grew up with was a, it was a difficult community for me to be in with what was going on at home because there is that high level of social status and people want to create that perfect image and be great students and, everyone from that school is expected to go to college and you're expected to go to grad school. And then if you don't go to college, uh, you know, what are you really doing? And I have friends that didn't go to college and they're doing better than all of my other friends combined and me, and they're doing great and they're happy. And I think that pressure of when I was a 15 year old kid, I had a lot going on at home. And then, then I had to come to school and deal with the pressures there of, okay, I need to keep my grades up. I need them to be good because everybody's telling me I need to go to college and that this really matters. And now that I'm 20 and I'm almost done with college and I'm doing something that doesn't relate to really anything I learned in school at all, I just, I realized how much time I wasted stressing and taking on all this pressure that it really, it was never necessary for me to take on because everyone's going to be all right. Everyone's going to end up doing something that they want to do and be happy. And I think that pressure, especially around where I'm from, was really difficult for me to deal with who had other stuff going on at home. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I told you guys like my, at some point my job is going to get replaced by AI or just straight videos or something. And like, which is soon. <laughs> yeah, like playing around with chat G GPT for today, uh, I was, uh, I'm trying to put together a website and like domain names. And I just put in two screenshots into chat GPT to like help me out with it. And I'm thinking we're really not that far, like the skill that 
most schools should probably be teaching that they're probably not is like how to appropriately prompt GPT-4 with like your questions. Like, you know, my cousin's here with us this weekend and it hadn't occurred to me that I could just type, put in two screenshots, describe the scenario I was trying to solve and the AI could do a good amount of the legwork for me. Um, like I remember saying like, guys, don't stress about it. Like proofs you're not going to use. I promise. I, I haven't used them. And I was a math and engineering major. I didn't even use it in college. And like, there's just so many dumb things that are being taught today. And I think at a minimum, if you're in a tough class, if you're, you know, pushing yourself, learn how to learn, but don't necessarily take it that the thing that you're learning is the important part. I'm seeing right now that figuring out how to put together a website is, yeah, it's like kind of important, but it's more that I'm watching all of the emotions that I go through. And every time that I pull up my phone to check my Instagram DMs or play chess is actually me procrastinating. And I need to sit with the negative emotion that I don't want to deal with in, in that procrastination. And if you're, you know, if you're going through honors geometry and you're like, I, I remember you and I had that conversation. Should you be in this class? I think it was like a couple weeks in you were struggling. I stink um, at math. I still, math's not my thing. It's just, it, I, I struggle with math, but I have to get through it, but I struggle with it. It's not my yeah. thing. And I would say for anyone that's in one of those tough classes, like just take that as an opportunity. You're going to be pushed to your limit. Learn how to learn, learn uh, what your triggers are and where, like how to get support and like appropriate ways to get support, like figure out when you should be using AI, figure out when you should talk to the teacher um, or your parent, like figure out where all of those useful things are. I think you could go through an honors class, get a C, but learn an insane amount about yourself, which is going to do so much more for you than if you had, you know, lost the sleep and not figured out the tools and cheated to get the a yeah i i agree and i'm still i go through it in college every day i'm not i'm really not good at math i know that about myself like math i'm just i'm not good at it i can do it but it's going to take me twice as long as it mm -hmm. might take you to do it mm -hmm. um but i know what that i excel in other areas so then i use those other areas to then help me excel at math and i know that you know i'll work hard i'll take however much time it takes so i just sit grind it out use some resources but i think that's a great message for kids to avoid that uh stress feeling that a lot of kids get from the schoolwork yeah and i'll i'll say one more thing about that is um my cousin here he was telling me about he went on a vipassana uh 10-day silent meditation retreat and one of the things that they taught him in that time, which I've done a similar retreat some years ago. Uh, he said one of the goals of it is trying to identify the body sensations that you're trying to avoid whenever you are procrastinating or you're trying to avoid things. Whenever we, you know, we're looking for validation or, um, you know, we're trying to find a way to distract ourselves scrolling on social media, if you can take a deep breath and pause and be like, okay, what am I really trying to avoid right now? Cause it's, I'm not trying to watch another funny cat video. That's not why I'm looking for the funny cat video. It's cause I'm trying to avoid something else. And I know that that's a, it's a decent replacement feeling for me of a little dopamine serotonin hit. Um, so if you can be sitting with 
those emotions, those body sensations that you don't want to have, you're less likely to procrastinate next time. And that was, that was something that I didn't learn well in high school or college. I just learned how to procrastinate and screw up and like, honestly not do things well. It took me till probably took me till my mid to late twenties to really notice like I'm procrastinating. This is the emotion that I'm like trying to get away from. I recognized it two years ago when I went into a sales role that was really uncomfortable for me. Um, I would flip open my chess app and play three minute bullet games. And at one point I realized, Oh, I flip this open every time I want to procrastinate. What's the hard thing that I I'm thinking I don't want to do. And then in the past, like two years I've started saying, okay, I just opened my chess app, like, like without any thought to it. It's just like, it's already open and I don't even, I blacked out the previous 10 seconds that we got here. What was the trigger that I was like, this is hard. I'm going to avoid this feeling. If you can, if you can learn that in your teens, man, you're, you're a decade ahead of me. With, and that goes with everything too. It goes with what you talk about with relationships where it's, I'm avoiding this conversation and I'm avoiding, you know, why am I avoiding this? What is making me avoid this? It is, I mean, I still, I do it all the time with, um, like, I, I like to run a lot and I'm like, some days though, I'm like, oh God, I'm not, I don't want to run. I end up scrolling. I'm like, oh, why am I, you know, why am I avoiding this? What am I, yeah. what's making me so almost scared of going out and run, running? Um, yeah, it's a lifelong challenge, I think, of doing the thing that you don't want to do or putting yourself in that uncomfortable situation. And But every time I do it, I learn something new about myself. And I once you finish that assignment that you've been avoiding the whole time, the relief that leaves your body and how good you feel, it is, it is huge. And you feel proud of yourself, but you would never get that if you just kept procrastinating. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's difficult. I want to thank you for uh, coming on and joining us today. It's kind of a a different conversation than uh, we've had because you're in that world. You're a professional with mental load and uh, content creating. And I think it uh, is very useful to a lot of people of just, you know, be more considerate. Think about how what you say can affect other people and how they might take what you say, even if it's not how you mean it, and then how you can change certain words or phrases to to help the person that you're trying to talk to fully understand you. Um, I think it's a very positive message. I Obviously, I found your social media and thought of you, and I'm very glad I did. I think you have the ability to help a lot of people, and you clearly are, and it's the same thing I want to do, so thank you. Thank you, Quentin. I, it's super validating to know that I've had enough of an impression on you that you wanted to talk with me again seven years later. <laughs> I don't know if it means much with me. I talk to anyone. I talk too much. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Bye. Uh, end recording.